for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall never perish but have everlasting life. The week before Thanksgiving of 2016, Wanda Dench of Arizona sent out a text message group to all of her grandkids letting them know about the upcoming Thanksgiving get-together. Her text read, Thanksgiving dinner is at my house on November 24th at 3 p.m. Let me know if you're coming. A few moments later, she received a reply that said, "Uh, Who's this? She texts back and said, It's your grandma. The person on the other line said, Send me a picture of you to prove it. So she did. And then uh, the person on the other line sent back a picture of himself proving that, indeed, the grandma had done what sometimes grandmas do and messed up the text message and left one digit out that should have been in, replaced it with another digit, uh, digit and sent it to a random person. Um, the person uh, that got this text message then said, Hey, I'm not your grandson. But can I still get a plate, though? And the, uh, the grandmother texts back and said, Of course. That's what grandmas do. They feed everyone. And all of God's people said. Here's a picture of them. See, here's the thing about that story. They didn't just exchange a joke over text message. This young man named Jamal actually showed up to Wanda's house and had Thanksgiving dinner with her and her family. But here's the even cooler part about that story. They struck up a friendship. They now view each other as family, and they have spent Thanksgiving dinner together every single year for the last seven years. You see, here's the thing about grandmas. They are what I believe one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. Um, You see, you in here, uh, you may only have two grandmas. I have two grandmas as well. Um, But here's the thing about being a student pastor here at First Baptist Guiltsville is I have several grandmas that are amazing, that give me a hug every Sunday morning, that cook me things. Um, Just a couple of grandmas that I have, Miss Jill Garrett, Miss Myrna Miller, Miss Betty Hull, Miss Mag Stevens, Miss Judy McKenzie. Those are just a few of my grandmas. And I know you're jealous, but I got a bunch of grandmas. And here's the thing about Wanda and being a grandma that she showed Jamal and has shown him these past seven years. That if you're hungry, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're blood related. It doesn't matter if you are a part of a different generation or have a different skin color. Wanda showed that if you're hungry... She has a seat for you at her table. And friend, you may be in here this morning, and I don't know what your church background is. I don't know if you're like me and many of others, and you've had rough church experiences, where you've been hurt by the church, you've been hurt by Christianity, or, 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 or maybe you've struggled with these sins and, and these guilts and these things, and you wonder if, man... I've just messed up too much. 
Here's what I want you to know, church. For you and for the entire world, because of the love of God made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ, there's room at the cross for all of us. You see, in Acts chapter 8, we meet someone who understood this, who learned this story. We meet in Acts chapter 8 an unlikely convert, someone who, by the world's standards, should have never been included in the Holy Scriptures. But that's the God that we serve. He does the unexpected, and He does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Acts chapter 8, if you look with me, beginning in verse 26, this is what the Bible says. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over there, go to that chariot. So Philip Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch replied, well, how can I unless someone guides me? Then he invited to come up and sit with him. And the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, Who does the prophet say this about? Himself or somebody else? I love this verse. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for your word and what it teaches us. God, as we unpack this text and we see what it is that you have for us through it, Lord, I pray that you would dismiss me and you would preach. God, if you don't preach here this morning, there will be no preaching done. God, we don't long to hear another sermon, another Bible lesson. God, we long for a move from you. So that's what we're asking for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now all God's people said. I want you to notice a couple of imperatives, a couple of realities of this passage. The first thing I want you to notice is Philip's obedience to God's call. Philip's obedience to God's call. The text says, An angel of the Lord said to him, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. I want you to look at the sovereign in the call first. When it says the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. See, since Philip was serving God, he needed a divine call in order to move. You know, many preachers often say this, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll show you who you're serving. 
See, there's so much today in our world, in our culture, that is fighting, is calling us to follow it. Career success, popularity, riches, all of these things are yelling for us to jump and asking for us to ask in return, how high do you want me to jump for them? Yet, the thing about those things, while they are good, they cannot satisfy the human soul. Only God can satisfy the human soul. So the culture calls and says, do all of these things. But Philip understood that the call that he would respond to would be the sovereign of the call. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes in my life I have viewed speed limit signs as suggestions. And um, I've been caught many times, you know, acting out on that. Um, one of the things that actually happened uh, when we were going to a trip in Pigeon, Fu- uh, Pigeon Forge um, back in January is uh, I took my car, um, and the kids were riding on the bus, so I, I drove my car separate just in case we need an emergency vehicle. And um, I was up ahead of them, and I got pulled over um, by a state trooper, um, and he told me how much I was going over the speed limit, and I pulled over and everything. And um, I don't know about you, but when I get pulled over, um, I start thinking about all the things that could go wrong. Like, like what if, what if I, I'm, oh my gosh, did I pay that speeding ticket I got last year? And so here's what I'm thinking. Our bus is going to drive up in about 30 minutes. If I didn't pay the speeding ticket, here's what's going to happen. My kids are going to drive past and see their youth pastor outside with handcuffs because his license is suspended. Like, that's where my mind goes. I look at, because like I've always looked at speed limits as like suggestions. And here's the thing. Sometimes rules are not fun. But here's what we understand. You know, a lot of people would say, you know, God is a killjoy. He just wants you to follow these things. God's no fun. Following Jesus, it can't be fun. But church, here's the thing. Christians should have more fun than anybody else in the world because we're the only people who have a life waiting for us after this one. Christians should be the happiest, most joyful people. And when God gives us incentives, he tells us to do things. It's not because he's up in heaven saying, hey, I don't want you to have any fun. No, no, no. God knows what is best for us. And so following God and obeying his call, it's not a kill joy. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not a kill joy. It's a kill. It's a joy uh, thrill. Following Jesus is the most fun that anyone could ever have. See, Philip understood this. He understood that following the call of obedience wasn't going to make him sad. It was going to give him joy. Matthew Henry once said that holy joy is the oil to the wheels of our obedience. See, Philip knew that if God says go, it's for his glory and our good. And so he was obedient. But don't just look at the sovereign in the call. I want you to look at the sight of the call. The angel of the Lord said, go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now, understanding the background of where Philip was when he got this call, you would understand that obeying this call was a little difficult. You see, the place that he was being called to was not exactly a glamorous sight. And in fact, it would take him days and days and weeks and weeks to get there. And so this call, this place that God had called Philip to it was going to be difficult. Um, you may not know this about me, but I surrendered to ministry when I was 15. And uh, 
always thought that I would be like a missionary or an evangelist. And uh, I knew how difficult sometimes serving in a church could be. And I remember after surrendering to the ministry, I told God, I said, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But I will never work in a local church. A few months later, I got a job in a local church. And then after I got the job in a local church, I was just interning, doing some things. And, and you know, I said, uh, God, okay, I'll do this. But I will never be a youth pastor. So I'm a youth pastor. You see what's happening here? And so I want to say to God in front of all of these witnesses, God, I will never live in Hawaii. You see, maybe God has called you to a place and a people where things are going to be comfortable and everything's going to be easy. But most likely not. You see, when God calls us to reach the nations, oftentimes it's not exactly that easy or comfortable. So the question becomes, what happens when you ask God to send you to Hawaii, but he wants you to go to Haiti? Will you answer Will you answer the call of God? Well, I'll tell you what Philip did. He answered. The text says he rose and he went. So you saw the sovereign in the call. You saw the side of the call. Now let's look at the submission to the call. God spoke and that was enough for Philip. God asked Philip and he was ready to answer. You see, being obedient to God's call does not mean that it will be easy. Because if we were called to easy things, we would think that we could do it without God's help. And so instead, God calls us to sometimes difficult tasks so that we'll rely on him throughout the call. But we have to ask ourselves, are we confident enough in the power and love of God towards us that whatever he calls us to do, we will put it fully, I'll put our lives fully into his hands so here's the thing about hands you could put a basketball in my hand and i'll make a couple shots i had to quit basketball in uh eighth grade because i was a little short i don't know if you noticed that it wasn't gonna work out for me but you put that same basketball in the hands of michael jordan man can he do something with it he'll give you six nba finals nba finals mvps He'll make you the greatest basketball player of all time. You know, you could, you could put a rocket in my hand, and I'm, after a couple of weeks, I might figure out how to get it launched off the ground a couple of feet to where it falls back down. But you put that same rocket in the hands of Elon Musk, and he'll take you to space. You can put some nails in my hands, and I could build you a birdhouse or something like that, probably look bad, but I could probably figure it out. But you put those same nails in the hands of Jesus, and he'll offer you forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. You put your life in your hands, man, I know some of you. I know how gifted you are. I know how talented you are. I know how great you are. You put your life in your hands, man, I bet you can do some good stuff. But you place your life in God's hands. And he will do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ever imagine. And so my question for you this morning is, when God calls you to be obedient, 
Will you put your life in His hands? Will you trust that He'll take care of you by doing so? Philip did. And so we notice his obedience to God's call, but we also notice Philip's love for all people. Look back a little bit earlier in the story of Acts chapter 8. Let's go back to verse 5. The text says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. See, something you need to know about Samaria, Samaria, not Samaria, this is a city, okay, named Samaria, is that it was a detested city. The Jewish people back in this day viewed the Samaritans as half-breed, someone that they did not need to be around, someone that they hated. In fact, they didn't even view the Samaritans to be fully human. So the Jewish and the Samaritan rivalry, this is a Red Sox-Yankees, Ohio State-Michigan, Florida-Tennessee rivalry that's going on here. No one wanted to go to Samaria, let, or, let alone like love on the people of Samaria, let alone tell them the love of God. But Philip knew that a call to follow Christ was a call to love those he loves. And so the question becomes, who does God love? Who does God actually love? You know, a lot of seminaries have debated this and, and tried to get down to the minute details of, of who God loves. But, you know, I just wanted to set the record straight this morning on who God loves. Are you ready for this? If you're ready, say amen. Here's who God loves. Every single person on earth. Friend, if Jesus had to come and die for you and you alone, he still would have done it. So when God loves you, even though he loves the world, he loves you like you're his only child. God loves everyone. No matter what your background is, no matter what your story is, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what it is that you've done, from A to Z, God loves humanity. From A to Z, God loves us. You see, God loves artists, athletes, academics. God loves babies, Baptists, and the brokenhearted. God loves the compassionate and the corrupt. God loves doctors, dreamers, Democrats, and drug dealers. The elderly, educators, family, freedom seekers, farmers, gamblers, grandparents, the homeless, the homosexuals, and the homophobics. God loves them all. God loves immigrants and innovators, journalists, Jackie Chan, and the Jehovah's Witness. God loves Chris, Chloe, Courtney, and Kim Kardashian. God loves leaders, lovers, lost souls, missionaries, musicians, mothers, mentors, and Methodists. God loves nurses, neighbors, nurturers, newcomers, orphans, overcomers, outcasts, peacemakers, prisoners, questioners, and the quarrelsome. God loves refugees, Republicans, and Robert Downey Jr., God loves servants, seekers, strangers, teachers, truth seekers, transformed trailblazers, unemployed, undeserved, and the unreached people of the world. God loves veterans, volunteers, visionaries, widows, warriors, worshipers, wonders. God loves those with an X and a Y chromosome and calls both to love him, build his kingdom, and serve in his church. God loves the zealous Zac Efron, and praise God, he loves zookeepers. Friend, God loves every single one of us A to Z. Philip knew this, and so whether it was to the rulers of Rome and their majestic castles, 
or to the poor Samaritans in the slums. He was willing and ready to take the love of God to whosoever. And so he does with the eunuch. Our text says, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, which is a title, not a name, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all our treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, you may be thinking, oh, man, Noah, um, I know you're young, I know you're still in seminary. Do you know what a eunuch is? Um, if you go into detail about that, that might get a little awkward if you talk about what a, a eunuch is in church. And I'm sorry, church, like, I just, I just, I know this is bad and this is going to be rough on some ears and it's going to be really awkward as we talk about body parts and such, but I just feel like we have to go into a bunch of detail, like specific detail about what a eunuch is this morning. So Bob Lloyd, come up and tell us what a eunuch is this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, here's all you need to know. A eunuch, whether by birth or by castration, eunuchs were ones with physical ailments that prohibited them from having normal relationships and children and so on. And so this particular eunuch we see was in charge of all of the finances of Ethiopia. Today, he would hold the title of Minister of Finance or Secretary of the Treasury. This is a top, top, top position. You see, he had enormous power and influence. And yet, somehow all of the money and the glitz and the glamour of this job didn't satisfy the eunuch. We'll get to that in a second. It's helpful for us to know that Ethiopia was described by historians at this time as the outermost parts of civilization. And yet, somehow this eunuch had heard of the god Yahweh and his temple in Jerusalem and all the wonderful things that the people of God were able to partake in. And so this eunuch would pack his things, enough supplies and money for his journey that would take weeks and weeks and weeks on foot to complete. It was about a thousand miles from Ethiopia to the temple in Jerusalem. And so it would be hot days of walking all day, getting two hours of sleep, getting back up, until about two months later, the eunuch would finally arrive and see in the distance the temple that he had heard so much about, that he had longed for, that, that he could go and worship the God Yahweh. And so he goes to the temple and he walks up. I imagine that that journey must have seemed long, but when he saw the temple, he would have done it all over again. And he walks up to the temple after this huge, long, treacherous journey, only to be told he wasn't allowed in. You see, here's the thing about eunuchs that you learn in the Old Testament. Because of his physical ailment, they viewed him as unclean. And because the temple could not be defiled, eunuchs were not even allowed in the outer courts, around, in, in sight of the temple. And I imagine he must have talked to the guard and said, Come on, guys, I've traveled all this way. I've heard of your God. I love your God. I want to know more about your God. Please. 
only to be met with a finger pointed in the opposite direction and the sound of the temple gates shutting in his face. I'm trying to figure out if I should say something. I'll say it. I wonder how many people in our land drive past churches every week that they want to visit, but they don't go because they're scared of how the people will receive them. I heard a story once of a young lady who just had a baby who had fell on hard times, single mother doing everything she can to raise a baby. And uh, she, her life was just at rock bottom, and so she decided, I'm going to try and get back in church. See, she went to church as a little girl. She kind of remembered the things. And so one day, uh, she's driving, and she sees a little church. She says, you know what, God, if I've passed this church, maybe I should go. And so she decides that that Sunday she's going to load up her baby, and she's going to go attempt to visit that church. But since she was poor and she didn't have much, she, she really just had some old clothes that had some stains, and they just weren't great. But she said, you know what, maybe they'll still receive me. And so she takes her baby and she walks in the church that morning, and as soon as she gets in, she can tell that people are looking out of the corner of their eye, and they're rolling their eyes at her, and they're, they just seem annoyed, and they're judging her. But she sits down, and uh, she listens to the music, and she likes the music, and she listens to the sermon, she likes the sermon. And then her baby starts to cry, and everyone's just, oh, God. This baby, and she's just embarrassed, but she doesn't know what else to do. And she walks to the back door, and she's excited because she sees the pastor, and she really enjoyed his sermon. And she goes to shake his hand, and the pastor doesn't even offer her his hand. And he says, "Young lady, what did you think you were doing when you wore those clothes into church this morning?" And she said, "Well, this is this is kind of all I have." And the preacher looked at her and said, well, young lady, I tell you what, if you ever want to come back, I want you to ask God what he expects of you when you walk into his house. I want you to ask God what you should wear next time you walk into this church. So she cried and she was hurt, but then she got back home and she decided, you know what, I'm going to go back again. And she had this newfound joy and freedom and she walks back into the church wearing the exact same clothes that she wore the week before. Her baby's crying, but she had, this time she has a smile on her face. The worship music is playing and she's raising her hand saying, Amen, thank you Jesus, and it's making everybody uncomfortable. Because that's not how they behave in that church. And then the baby's crying, but she's shouting Amen at the pastor. And then the service is over and the pastor just looks befuddled. Because she's wearing the exact same clothes that she wore last week. And when she gets to the back of the door, the pastor looks at her and says, Young lady, did you ask God what you should wear next time you come back up into this church? And she said, Yeah, I did. And he said... Well, what did he say? And the young lady looked at the preacher and said, Well, God said he didn't really know what I should wear in this church because he's never been in this church. I'll, I'll try and say this without getting emotional because I've dealt with it myself. We may look at the outward appearance, but church, I promise you this, God looks at the heart. And if we have ever, ever, cause someone to be hindered to hearing the gospel because we judge their outward appearance, then shame on us. God looks at the heart. And the eunuch figured this out. 
You see, after being turned away from the temple, the eunuch in his hurt goes off by himself and decides to read a little bit about the God who at this moment, he believes, doesn't want anything to do with him and his imperfections. But right at that moment, Philip steps in. The man who has a love for all people. And the text says Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Now, I want you in your Bible to skip down and look at verse 34. The book of Isaiah there that he was reading was Isaiah 53, but skip down to verse 34. The eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or somewhere else? Now, we know that this was referring to Jesus. Isn't it crazy how God will do things sometimes that are almost too coincidental? Like, God will just put you in a place like, okay, that's a God wink right there. That's what's happening. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And sometimes we read this verse when the eunuch says, what prevents me from being baptized? Like the eunuch is saying, oh, wise Philip, I am now saved. What prevents me from being baptized? Here is water. Dunk me. But if you understand that the eunuch's entire life had been marked by religion and the things of God telling him, no, you're not good enough. You read that question a little different. And so when the eunuch asks Philip, what prevents me from being baptized, the question is not rhetorical. He must have thought, this seems too good to be true. I'm, I'm too messed up. I'm too damaged. I'm broken. Something, Philip, must prevent me from following this God and me being baptized. Can you tell me what it is? What prevents me? And the answer is the answer that we have today. And it's nothing. See, he accepts Christ. He's baptized right there. But here's something profound. Watch this. If you're listening, say amen. In the Old Covenant, this is so awesome. I'm a Bible nerd, so I love this. You may not love it, but I'm going to say it anyways. In the Old Covenant, God dwelt in the temples. In the New Covenant, God dwells in his people. And so the same man that was turned away from the temple in Jerusalem became God's temple in the desert place. So much so that this unit gets a, a, a new perspective a new found love for christ the text ends when it says and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord carried philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing all because uh, philip was two things obedient to god and loving of people this eunuch's life was changed forever now i want you to do something for me i want you to think right now of the first name of the person who led you to Jesus or impacted you for Jesus. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a pastor, a friend, a parent. I want you to think of their name. And this is what I know. You rejoice because they crossed your path. Amen. I have been so blessed by hearing so many stories from you all of what God has done in our family of, of, of uh, you and your relationship with Jesus, how it started was somebody else just loved Sunday school and loved showing up, and they showed you love Jesus. And I know that you rejoice and thank God that they crossed your path. But can I ask you this? Can anybody say that they rejoice because you 
cross their path. Oh, wait. I forgot the best part of the story. You see, if you remember, the eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah about Jesus and his saving work in Isaiah chapter 53. But, you know, back then they didn't have chapters and verses. You know this, right? They read from scrolls, and so they would read the scripture like we read a book. And when you leave off reading somewhere in a book, what do you do the next time you pick it up? Well, you just pick up and start reading where you left off. So if the eunuch stopped at Isaiah 53, that means in just a few minutes he would have seen Isaiah 56. And here's what's amazing. The Holy Spirit had a surprise for that eunuch waiting on it. Now that this eunuch's life had been changed and now he sees the heart of God, the, the God who doesn't take his imperfections and make those a hindrance to following him, this is what happens. You see, in just about five minutes of reading after all that had taken place and the eunuch sat back down to read again, this is what Isaiah 56 would have said. Check this out. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Check that out. Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give them my house. That's the temple. And within my walls, that's the temple too. A monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. That's what the Holy Spirit had waiting for the eunuch. And so they would kick me out of seminary for doing this this morning. But I just got one point. Here's the point. You ready for it? Here's our point. Despite anything that the people around us or you could have done and are still doing, God loves all. Everybody say all. Not y'all. God loves all people and desires a relationship with them. Guess what, church? It's our job to tell them. That's what we do this morning. That's our one point. And so, let's just not talk about it. Let's be about it. So this is what I want to encourage you to do as the band comes up and as we close out. This is what I want to encourage you to do. In the last few months, our prayer team has been specifically praying for these needs and and specifically just a few weeks ago prayed for our students at camp. And the students that I asked for them to pray for specifically to be saved got saved at camp. If uh, you guys remember last fall when God really moved at our fall kickoff um, and we saw 26 teenagers give their life to Jesus on that one night, you may not know that it all started two weeks before then when I asked the kids, I said, hey, which one of your friends need to know Jesus? And once you figure that out, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write on an index card and I want us to put them on this board and we are going to pray and pray and pray and beg God to move in these people's lives. And so since our prayer team and these things that we're doing are on a roll, let's keep feeding them. So here's what I want you to do. On the back of your pew, you probably see a little card or something there. Or um, you can scan the QR code and submit a prayer request. This is all I'm asking you to do this morning. I know that every single one of us knows someone, a family member, a co-worker, a friend, a teammate, a schoolmate, you fill in the blank, who needs a relationship with Jesus. They need to know that there's a God out there who does not hold their sin against them, instead died so that he could take the penalty for that sin. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. I just want you to write the first name of that person. Whether it's on the back of that card 
or you fill it out and submit the prayer request through the link on the QR code at the back of the pew. This is what my promise is to you. I'm going to get a copy of those. I'm going to give them to the prayer team. This is my promise to you as your student pastor. Over the next six months, if you will turn in one of these cards, I will commit to praying for that person's salvation and for God to use you to be the one who helps them along that path every single day for six months. You know, let's just not talk about, yeah, God loves the world and we need to share about it in this kind of ethereal up 30,000 feet way. Let's have some boots on the ground and some practicality to where we start seeing people come in whose lives have been forever changed because you told them about the good news of Jesus. I want to invite you to do that as we stand in just a second and after I pray. Maybe you need someone to pray with. Maybe you have someone that is on your heart. You want someone to pray. I'm going to be down here. Listen, if I have to stand down here till 7 p.m. tonight and pray with every single one of you about your lost friends, I'll do it. There's people here who want to pray with you. Maybe you want to take your card and you just want to lay it on the altar. Maybe you want to come pray, lay that card on the altar and say, God, I need your help with this. You know, here's the thing. I know what you're thinking right now. Noah, isn't that the preacher's job? Isn't isn't that reserved to the special spiritual people to impact those around us? Let me tell you something. If you knew what it was like and how weird us preachers are, you would understand that you're probably far more effective reaching your friends than any of us could ever be. Here's the thing. You may say, I'm not up for that task. I don't know if I'm skilled. I don't know if I'm gifted yet. If you have a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you something, friend. You got an amazing story of how Jesus saved you. Just share it. So that's what we're going to do. If you want to fill out that card, you want to bring it down to the altar, you can do so. Or just leave it on your seat. We'll pick them up after and we will pray over them every single day. At the same time, um, we actually have a new prayer wall just outside uh, those doors into the foyer, kind of back near the Parker Suite. Um, Jackie, I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot. Uh, Me and Jackie will be standing back there. And if you want to pray after service, we'll pray with you. Sound good? Let's do this. Let's not walk out these doors the same way we walked in. Let's have a heart for the lost community around us. Jesus, we love you. God, there's so many things that should have kept us from your love. But when we couldn't reach out to you, you came down and you picked us up and you reached out to us. And so, God, whatever our story is, whatever our background is, God, help us understand how much you love us, how there's nothing that prevents us from the love of God could height or depth or calamities or persecutions, the Apostle Paul says. Nothing can separate us from the love of God found in Jesus Christ. Let us live in that. And God, for the friends and family members and co-workers whose names are being written down right now, God, I pray that you would unleash your people out of the pews into the community to glorify your name through the spread of the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.